Coming to you from Penn State, the Ecology Plus Design, or E-Plus-D Center, has conversations with ecologists, design professionals, faculty, and students who are interested in transforming the ecological health of our designed world. These stories will weave through larger themes of resiliency, climate change, biodiversity, energy, risk and hazard, and water systems. So the Galapagos Islands are a world treasure, but run the risk of being loved to death by tourists. This ecotourism phenomenon is happening across the world, and biologists, landscape architects, planners, designers, architects, and a variety of professionals are looking for ways to solve this problem. We have with us here today uh, Arturo Izurieta, the executive director of the Charles Darwin Foundation. As executive director, he is focused on organizational planning and strengthening scientific and technical collaboration, aiming towards the sustainability in the Galapagos Islands. So welcome, Arturo. Thanks for taking a few minutes to speak with folks interested in ecological design at Penn State. Kendall, thank you very much. Andy, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. I'm going to actually start with something that's not on that list. Because uh, <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the Charles Darwin Foundation and what you do? Sure. The uh, Charles Darwin Foundation is an organization that was created in order to support the provision of knowledge and advice the government of Ecuador on the best ways to conserve, preserve, and now make it a sustainable place, the Galapagos Islands for the future. We were created in 1959 after a scientific expedition uh, that took place in 1957 uh, with the auspices of UNESCO, um, where scientists uh, came to the islands, uh, surveyed the islands, and realized that uh, um, it was important to have a biological station uh, that could uh, bring in knowledge uh, regarding the fragility, the uniqueness of the biota, of the fauna, of the flora, and the the, uh, the islands themselves, and considering that there, there was already a human population that had uh, been established in four of the, of the 13 and more islands there. Uh, so since then, um, we have taken the uh, commitment to support the government. We inaugurated the Charles Darwin Research Station in 1964. It took us about five years. And uh, we have been engaged in a lot of scientific work that uh, together with the National Ecuadorian Institution that uh, started, started uh, their presence in the Galapagos as, as uh, administrators of the protected area. The Galapagos National Park was funded, created in 1959, actually the 4th of July. Um, you're familiar well, with that date, right? It's a nice coincidence for us. <laughs> yeah, and, and the foundation was registered. We are registered in Belgium. Uh, and we were, you know, we started uh, as an organization on the 23rd of July. So we have been sort of twins uh, working since then for the uh, future of the islands. Mm, we uh, still continue delivering important scientific information, but also uh, community engagement and uh, environmental education. The translation of science that goes into the community is vital, uh, apart from delivering 
the advice to the authorities, principally the Galapagos National Park Directorate or the Galapagos National Park Service, um, but other organizations as well. Uh, we signed our first agreement with the government in 1964 for 25 years. We renewed it. Uh, and then the other one, we just renewed it again in 2016 till uh, 2041. So in that new agreement, uh, we fleshed out other and agreed with the government other uh, focus or put emphasis in the human dimensions uh, that uh, is required to know more and more uh, and, and work in ways in which uh, the human population that we live there can act uh, properly and decide properly and maintain the balance with the fragile ecosystems of the Galapagos Islands, which have been um, altered somehow since human presence started there in 1535 with mm -hmm. the discovery of the islands. Um, so in a nutshell, uh, this is uh, our work. We've been last year, 2019, we celebrated our 60th anniversary, our diamond year. And uh, we, we feel uh, uh, lucky and we feel honored to still have you know, that commitment and, and the trust from the government of Ecuador to continue with uh, not just ourselves, but bringing in other uh, organizations, other uh, universities like Pennsylvania State University definitely uh, in a few hours uh, will be signing a, uh, an interesting uh, letter of intent to get uh, closer towards working together in and not just the Galapagos, uh, of course, it's, that's the area where we work and, and we, uh, we focus our work on. But this is also a contribution to the world, uh, the way environment and the way the resources are being um, used and misused uh, deserves uh, examples, deserves uh, information from unique places that can give us some lights on how uh, human decisions could affect uh, or even improve in, in, in some ways uh, the way uh, the ecosystems, the services that they provide us um, get back on track. Um, and the ones that are still on track, better not to let them you know, be uh, destroyed Absolutely. or altered. So you said there's been human population since 1535? The discovery of the islands, um, it's, it, it was in 1535, and since then uh, visitors have come to the islands, um, pirates, buccaneers. Uh, the first colonization that took place in Galapagos was in 1832, mm, okay. uh, where the government claimed the islands as part of its territory. So a penal colony was established, like, you know, those old times, usually islands uh, were the place where governments that would claim those islands would put prisoners there as, as, a, as a means of, of sovereignty. Um, and uh, yes, uh, since then, and of course, the visit of Charles Darwin in 1835, uh, uh, the name of the Galapagos uh, not only through science, but also other scientific expeditions and other economic uh, 
political economic interests that uh, arrived to the islands um, generated uh, introduction of, of new organisms to the islands on purpose like uh, goats or pigs or cattle that at those times were seen as uh, as a as a food source apart from the giant tortoises that were uh, taken by thousands um, since they were discovered. Actually, Tomás de Orlanga took some of those. Uh, then later on, pirates and buccaneers took them uh, in quite big numbers. We estimated that uh, uh, until the recent times, over 250,000 tortoises were taken from the islands. When we started off our work in the early 60s after the, the station was uh, founded, uh, the first estimate was just 8,000 tortoises throughout the archipelago. And we, uh, with the park, uh, started immediately the uh, breeding program of giant tortoises, which still continues. It's a species that takes quite a bit of time to get maturity and uh, lots of efforts as well to uh, eradicate uh, control in certain areas, but eradicate in other areas. Uh, um, animals like goats, pigs, donkeys, and even rats recently, uh, which uh, were animals that uh, didn't exist uh, in the Galapagos that had made a, a huge impact. And uh, uh, these efforts have paid off. Um, many of these uh, islands are recuperating back uh, to the functionality that uh, they used to have, uh, or at least that we, we think they used to have uh, in the past. Uh, and it's a, it's a it's a good uh, learning lesson. So, to me, I think is is a place where you find certain hope uh, in in the sense of uh, actions that man takes in order to uh, restore some of those uh, ecosystems where we can still learn from uh, and uh, be benefited from, like tourism in the Galapagos, which is the main activity. Uh, and uh, that provides the, the livelihoods for almost 30,000 people that will live there. Yeah, that's, I mean, the tourism, uh, just doing a quick Google search, I mean, it's increasing by major margins every year as a, I don't want to date myself too much, someone who grew up in the late 1900s. Um, I remember learning about the Galapagos Islands just in third grade uh, science class. That was one thing that you know, we didn't get to learn about much of the world's biodiversity, but the Galapagos, the work you've done has clearly had widespread influence if it's hitting a third grade classroom in Northern California, right? But you're getting this increasing interest and in with the with the advent of the internet and allowing people more access in the world and travel, the you know, people can travel so much more. Um, it's interesting to note that according to the directorate of the Galapagos National Park, 34% of the tourists are actually from Ecuador, and then the next closest is from the United States at 28%. The next closest is way down at 5% from the UK and 4% from Germany. So with so many of your tourists coming both from Ecuador and the United States, um, how do you see your efforts reaching? Do you concentrate on the local community engagement? You mentioned that a little bit, but as far as... Uh, helping to instill values of care and protectionism? Or what are some of the efforts you've taken there? Um, 
It's a complex situation, and not only for the Galapagos, but uh, for many other island systems and even remote continental uh, unique places that are um, still in a, in a um, I wouldn't say a pristine uh, environment or pristine stage, uh, state, but um, um, these are the places that are calling the attention of more and more people because uh, those are sort of the the places that are still you know natural and you want to go there before they get ruined um, and yet hopefully going hope, there we uh, hope doesn't ruin it um, that's it is true however um, I think it's a matter of, of managing uh, the visitation okay. uh, and the capacities of of uh, the institutions uh, either call it uh, parks and wildlife service, uh, national park service, and other uh, ways of managing places like community managed uh, areas, uh, which do exist in various places uh, around the world. And so with the Galapagos, I guess, we have been, uh, uh, and when I say we, uh, I, I mean the, the the Charles Darwin Foundation with the Charles Darwin Research Station, we have been a the point of attention to to the world uh, by um, sharing with the world the the wonders of the islands, the the information about this unique reptile that feeds under the water, or these flightless cormorants that you know they don't fly anymore. They have these tiny wings. Where nowadays, you know, genetics plays an important role in, in uh, it's not just uh, 11 species, but now there's 16 species or more species. So uh, it's, it's um, more information that is coming from the place which was, um, I guess, the favorite uh, of Charles Darwin in the sense of where he found much closer observations and direct observations of the changes of or the differences of individuals which uh, resemble to the ones in the mainland but resembles to the ones from this island next next door uh, and how did that happen and we all know that you know throughout the time uh, and the observations that he did during his voyage uh, on board the Beagle came up with the theory of uh, the uh, evolution of, of species or um, by natural selection. So uh, this fame of Galapagos had attracted uh, tourists. And um, yes, uh, the, the main activity was fishing and, and just some agriculture. Okay. But... Uh, when the scientific um, activities started to to come to the islands and with a scientific uh, research station there, um, even more interest was, was there. Um, but the task to deliver information about the state of, of nature, how to recuperate, how to not let these tortoises uh, die, uh, they are the symbol of the islands. In fact, they are the main herbivores. They, are, they play a crucial role in 
the energy flow within the ecosystems, name it either in the lowlands, the highlands, can you imagine 250,000 tortoises going down to 8,000 tortoises? So it, there was a need to think of recuperating those species and many others that came along and that are still in, in, in the efforts of, of preserving them and not letting them ex go extinct. Um, more so when we know that uh, uh, throughout the planet, uh, according to WWF, we have wiped out 60% of the megafauna in the planet. Um, so there is a responsibility and not only from an organization that was there, but also a responsibility from the government of Ecuador, whom allowed us to be there and whom um, extended its responsibility and with the help of the foundation to put a case to UNESCO so the Galapagos could be a world natural heritage site. And it was declared is in the in the list the first ten that were declared Galapagos is on the top of the list, the zero zero one registered. So, this is in order to preserve the universal, uh, unique values that uh, they have not just for the Ecuadorians but for the whole world. Um, and so, in that sense, the the way in which these nominations, these efforts have called out the attention of visitors, um, have brought positive but also negative uh, uh, things to the islands. The positives, improving the livelihoods of, of, of the locals, uh, engaging them in, 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 in a much more um, ways of, of bringing up their young ones, uh, having them more opportunities for education, although we'll talk, we can talk about the limit, <laughs> limited education that is still available in the islands. Nevertheless, is the province that has the highest uh, income per capita in Ecuador. The dollar has pretty much been there since the 60s. Well, I believe it. Um, and so the economy has been, uh, in a way, uh, in parallel to the Ecuadorian one, somehow. So there's no poverty on the islands. There's other social problems nowadays, but um, there is more positive things than negative things. However, um, yes, with the interest of tourism coming, with the economy um, increasing, um, then the demand for goods and services um, also increased or and are increasing. And this is where the complexity uh, starts. You have a, a protected area, national park and marine reserve with the strict rules, with a system uh, that has been an exemplary one that has been uh, adopted for the tourist to, uh, to the Antarctic, for example, mm -hmm. the, the, the system of having naturalist guides that would uh, have 16 passengers, no more, uh, going through trails perfectly marked, uh, staying with a carrying capacity or group capacity determined by the National Park with a system of, of uh, managing uh, visitors, and that's in the protected area. Um, but all this wealth of this tourism uh, economy 
uh, is reflected in the growing of the towns. And the towns are the 3% of the land mass of Galapagos. The 97% is national park, 3%. And that 3% is only on four inhabited islands, San Cristobal, Santa Cruz, Isabela, and Floriana. San Cristobal is the capital of the province. It became a province in 1974. And having uh, become a geopolitical part of the country, um, then elections are taking place. So we have three main towns. So three mayors are elected. And, you know, the council uh, of, of that uh, municipality are also elected. So they are considered, as by the constitution of the country, um, autonomous governments. And they have their own decisions. So there is uh, then the, the dichotomy or the divorce, I call it, between the system that is well organized and, 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 and manages the tourists in the protected area versus the tourists that arrive into the towns that um, bring in you know, opportunities for the locals to build a bigger house that is converted into a hotel or to expand the hotel. But in the end, where is these people going to go? Right. And when you have elected officials who then are trying to meet their constituents, we, our group is actually really interested. Um, we have a researcher in our group who's interested in the decision dynamics mm -hmm. when it comes to natural resources. And mm -hmm. he's a part of the same group that Dr. Carter Hunt is with the human dimensions of natural resources and the environment at Penn State. And they really do look. They want to see, well, at what point who, who is making the ultimate decisions or influencing these decisions when you can make, across the world, there are really strong advocacy groups and, and the Galapagos um, initiatives that you've described are crown jewels of that. But yet people still come in and make uh, pol maybe politically motivated or financially motivated decisions. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where our designers come in and why having Andy, um, Dr. Cole, in our group is, is really wonderful for Penn State because we try to teach our young designers and mm -hmm. landscape architects who are going into the world to have the opportunity to draw beautiful solutions to uh, not, when we say problems, we don't just mean ecological problems, right? We actually mean they're probably being hired by developers and they're trying to win the bid to develop a hotel or uh, redesign a community that is, has overgrown existing infrastructure, right? So how do, they, how do they learn from and how are they motivated in the Galapagos to, are you seeing any, any signs of this that um, the National Park Service and the, the directorate who is able to have these strict rules in the protected areas, is any of that influencing the communities? Are you seeing any of that? Well, it's... Um it's an interesting question. However, I guess we have to, to have a look at the holistic aspects of, of the islands, uh, including uh, the economy of the country. And Galapagos is the jewel, is, is the point of attraction, and it's, it's, there is interest uh, for the country itself uh, or the government that is in place uh, to allow 
the tourists to come to the Galapagos because they bring they have to stay one or two nights depending on from where you fly to Galapagos, uh, and that brings part of the the um, the revenue the, that the revenue yes. to to the country itself. Um, but um, when you go locally and you find that. Uh, uh, the tourists are arriving to towns since 2009, more than to the liverboards. Uh, and it has, has increased dramatically since 2009. So it's been just about 10, 11 years uh, where you have more people coming to the towns than to the boats. Some people that come to the towns, they get on the boats and off they go and they get to you know, experience the, the Galapagos at its best. However, uh, when you have the people coming to the towns, um, some of those lucky ones will will get a day tour, which are controlled by the park. You know, you do have limited, but and the limitation is due to the carrying capacity of the places that they are allowed to go. Um, but with the increase of of um, tourists and the increase of infrastructure, the, the increase of, of uh, the demand of uh, services and goods, more influx of goods are coming from the mainland. 80% uh, of the goods come by ship. And the more they come, the more possibilities of introduced organisms are to the islands. And this is one of the most um, dangerous threat that you can have on an island ecosystem, and particularly islands, new islands like Galapagos, where this everything is so fragile, specialists, not generalists. Usually those animals or organisms that come to the islands tend to occupy and disperse um, rapidly, depending on, on the species, and not only animals, but also plants. Mm -hmm. And we do have serious problems with some plants and some animals at the moment. So the more people coming, the more goods and services needed, the more possibilities of more introduced organisms to the islands are. Now, there might be some already that we have not been able to detect. Uh, a butcher case of the Philornis down sea with a parasitic fly that uh, uh, through the studies we have evidence that they could have come in the 60s, and this is uh, going through our natural history collections that are kept at the Charles Island Research Station, um, but also comparing with other collections in the California Academy of Sciences uh, um, um, and other universities in, in, in California particularly. So it was not until the 1990s the late 1990s, where we realized that this fly was causing tremendous problems to the land bird populations. Darwin finches, mockingbirds, uh, vermilion flycatchers, you name it, or land birds. And uh, we have been studying the, the land bird populations, and in many of the islands, they are declining, and they are declining seriously. And so that means 30 years later, we found out the effect of this fly. And we have been working with, you know, trying to find out mechanisms of control uh, for more than a decade. And we're still working on it. We have some good progress, but we still need uh, more studies. Uh, we have found 
uh, one micro wasp, two actually, but we've ruled out one, two micro wasps in mainland Ecuador um, that uh, are natural enemy of the fly. So we've tested in the mainland Ecuador, we've been given the okay by the Galapagos Biosecurity Agency, approved the protocols, where in 2020, we are going to do our experiments with this wasp and the fly in Galapagos. So it'll, it'll require more testing, but they, they, I, I want to come back on, 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 the, on the introduction of, of, of the species, um, some of which could become invasive. And because introduction might be some one or two that might not luckily enough be invasive, but invasive are the ones that uh, create most of the problems. So how do we tackle these things? How do we um, um, how do we balance the coming of tourists, the interest of locals to be part of the economic benefits that the tourism uh, brings, and how to um, maintain the natural capital in in a state that could be sustainable? So sustainability is comes into place. Um, I, um, not long ago, uh, but I, I usually bring this uh, uh, analo analogy of, of a story uh, that could be identified as Galapagos. Let's say that you have a property, a beautiful property with gardens, you know, ample salons inside, and you want to share uh, with the public, with the people, the most unique crystal Mm, crystal-y, I don't know how you call it, uh, jars, uh, uh, lamps, all made up of crystal. No one else has it. They are unique. You cannot find it anywhere else. And you charge $1 to come in, in your property and see it. And there's a lot of people coming, and they are delighted by looking at these crystals, you know, these magnificent jars and cups and things. And you have a restaurant there, you have tables, you have all the services, but you keep on, people keep on coming and keep on coming. And all of a sudden there is a, there is a problem in the bathroom. You call the service, fix it, but the people keep on coming. Then you have a chair that gets broken, you get it, fix it. But at the same time, there is no more water in the, in the bar and the problems start continuously coming. And what happens? someone just hit a jar and broke it and there's no replacement and maybe a glass was broken there was no replacement so what do you do does does the government consider putting limits on visitations in the islands strict, okay. strict numbers that can come and go okay so so you are I think you're answering my question <laughs> with your question. <laughs> I am, yes. He, he so, likes to do that, these uh, academics. Thanks, so, Andy. <laughs> so I, I think, um, um, yes, it's a matter of, of um, probably not setting up a, a figure, a number of visitors, but rather to stabilizing the numbers until your, your, your capacity to manage those numbers are in the best way possible. Then, uh, of course, mm, one of those uh, things that, that uh, could do is you can open the tab again and allow more tourists. And if your indicators tells you that you're not managing, you're losing control or something, you just 
close the tab again, you strengthen your capacity, and that's the way it goes, until maybe it, re it will reach a point where you'll stay stable for many years, but we don't know until, we wouldn't know until you, 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 you take the decision to go for that particular right. uh, process. So that capacity, though, is dependent upon a lot of those towns, right? That ability to those towns to absorb tourists. Do they have the physical room to expand, or are they stuck, bounded by the national park with no room to expand to handle? Uh, there's plenty of room, uh, that's for sure, and that's why it keeps on growing. However, um, one of the crucial things that are, are starting to show and, and with more force is the, the need of putting attention to basic services that the, the community um, uh, requires and needs. Um, even though the economy is growing and opportunities are growing and we ask the people and we acknowledge that the people that will live there, we are the custodians, we are the ones that should take care of it, uh, two things happen. One is that there is poor hospital or health services. There's no potable water. There's no sewage system. It's septic tanks. Uh, San Cristobal Island, it does have sewage system and Isabel Island it doesn't cover the whole population, at least there's something. Potable water, Cristobal has got a potable system, but the other t parts of town that are growing, they are not getting uh, a, a strictly, what do you say, what do you call potable water? Santa Cruz doesn't have it. Uh, and Isabela, it's partial. Why is partial? Because the, the, even though the desalination and the potabilization takes place, the water tubes, that run are the old ones. And they are the ones that have been repaired, so there is, uh, it's not safe. There's just infrastructure. Uh, Poor, it, deficient yeah, infrastructure. Right. Well, so, so that, that, I mean, that and along with what you were mentioning with the risk that comes with bringing more goods and services from mainland and from other, I mean, one of our questions was going to be, what, would, what advice would you give to designers? And that mm -hmm. seems to be one of the best ones, is to be thoughtful of the, um, to be more, have more depth in your thinking about what your design might require. So being really considerate. We, sometimes we talk about, uh, and it's tough. We've got 18 and 19 year olds starting to play with these ideas and thinking mm -hmm. about, and this is their first experience as they're learning from Dr. Cole and his class about some of the species interplay. And they go into the field in our local region um, when they're second year students and they, they start to think about systems and how they interrelate in species and you know we've got lots of opportunities for glimpses but to really teach them to go deeper to think of the social impacts that come with not just the site but the ripple effect on the local communities that what I mean I never would have really I don't know that I would have thought as deeply about the boats coming in for the basic services for the people who live there who support the tourism if I was thinking about an ecotourism uh, site, right? So if our students are becoming increasingly interested in sites like this and in, in natural, more natural areas, they're excited about the idea of promoting conservation efforts by uh, permitting humans to engage with areas throughout the world. 
that's yeah, they, that information is really valuable. The the, the other aspect it. one I mentioned was the the lack of of, of uh, services, um, and the other one is the lack of opportunities for the locals to get to know the place that they depend on and live in. Mm -hmm. um, I know many people that have only been in town and max gone up to the highlands, but they have not even traveled to another island that is inhabited, nor to, or worse, to uh, another island that is national park that, you know, where tourists go. So how can you ask a population to protect the place when there is very little chances or opportunities for them to go and, and see what the tourists go and get to see? You mentioned education earlier, so yeah. yeah but education is one, yes, and, and it's required to for them to be uh, aware of what's the natural aspects, uh, what are the changes that are taking place uh, because they are there or we are there, I'm part of the community, and what are those uh, decisions that have been affecting or not affecting or positive or negative on the natural capital that sustain us all. But the other one is, okay, um, you are telling me this, but mm, I don't know where the albatross is. I've never been seen an albatross. Uh, you know, everybody talks about these beautiful species that have tiny wings, they fly the scormas. I've only seen them on TV or in a video. Uh, is it is it in curiosity or a lack of ability? Because we actually see opportunities, uh, opportunities okay. to go there and travel. If a, a, a day tour, just a day tour to go to Bartholomew Island, which is the closest to where you can go and, and get to see penguins, per person it costs over a hundred dollars, hundred twenty dollars. If you have a family of four, you know the the owner of a little store there in town. Uh, it's $400. I mean, gee, it's $400, probably more, uh, in a month's salary that this is just, you know, it, it just doesn't pay. So with the National Park and um, the uh, Governance Council, we have been talking uh, to see the possibilities of including the obligation of operators to give away one week per year to wow. take locals not visitors, but just purely locals, where the guides take care of, of them and have a tour and, and, and have the opportunity to see what the tourists go come and see, to get to see why is that we need to, to be the custodians of, of, of that place that is, is giving us, is putting the bread on our table. Well, or what if there was a fraction of a percentage tax that went to a, a fund that would Make, would help with that so the operators weren't assuming all of the burden when many of them might be small business owners as well. Um, I mean, some that's kind of those, those when, we, when we get together and we have these conversations, it's, it's fun, not that you ask for my mm -hmm. opinion, but mm -hmm. to jump in yes, and think, it's okay, you yeah. know, to think, well, what, if, what about all, I'm sure you're all thinking of this, but that's, that's sort of, well, that's honestly why we're really excited that you're signing this letter of intent soon, because the opportunity for Penn State and all of our myriad of researchers and um, designers and scientists and people who care and want to learn and, and contribute in some ways. I mean, this is one of the great empathetic things in the world when we can 
see see the Galapagos as something that we all share a custodial relationship for its value globally. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that we don't appreciate something until we can see it and understand it. And Mm -hmm. it happens here in Pennsylvania. The folks that live, we're in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, but the folks that live up here don't appreciate the bay because it's 200 miles away. The people in the bay don't appreciate the farmers up here in the watershed because they don't and can't talk mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. You gotta, you've got to be able to appreciate the environment that you're in to learn to love it. And it's it's wonderful to hear that the government is is considering this, you know, mandate on on the operators to help help bridge that. That's that's wonderful. That's really inspiring yeah. and something that you know. There are operators that do it voluntarily, but spaces that they have left uh, and they bring locals oh, that's great. Uh, which is good it's, yeah. it's great you at least you contribute to and they see how the operation runs but um, our aim is is to to really treat uh, them as a whole group you know have a full boat just <laughs> with locals um, so they are the the locals um, I wouldn't like to to, to say to them or, or, or have them as, as tourists, although, yeah, it, it turned out, <laughs> we turned out to be like... But what, what, a value, what an increase for their value, sense yes. of value to the experiment mm-hmm. if they're not filling mm-hmm. an empty space, that they are esteemed guests yes. supported by their government That's and their community. Right, yeah. So let's see how it goes. Uh, the other step is to increase the fee to entrance the park. I just uh, learned uh, from... Uh, Dr. Cutterhunt, that uh, Rwanda has increased uh, or will be increasing uh, dramatically the entrance to see the gorillas. Uh, we are the number one world head to site, and we, we charge $100, and you could stay two months. This wow. over $1,000 for Rwanda is four hours walk, whether you see or not see gorillas. So they are valuing the resource. I think we're not valuing as much as we should. Uh, and then invest in education, invest in uh, capacity building, so the locals have an opportunity to 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 work uh, in the tourism industry, which in a way uh, has improved the quality, but the capacity of the locals to be uh, trained to uh, take care of the tourists, either as a concierges or either as a accountants or at a reception. Many hotels are bringing people from the mainland, uh, leaving the the uh, islanders with no job. So, but this is because there is no uh, opportunities for them to be trained. So, investment in in that needs to be done. Capacity for planning for the municipalities is hugely important, um, and of course, uh, bringing more funding for conservation like Lapos National Park and science. We as Charles Darwin Foundation, we have the agreement with the government, but we depend 100% on donations. And um, it is quite expensive to do science and we deliver the information for the, uh, for the national park, for the other authorities, and yet uh, there is no funding uh, from Ecuador to, to science. So it, it, it's, it's a combination of things. I think we are at the, the point where either we take a decision now or we might lose the islands uh, and we might reach the point of no return, which is something that will 
be talking about uh, in, in a few minutes <laughs> in well, this talk that you kindly invited me to to deliver. Well, Arturo, we are in um, in honor of your time or respect for your time. We want to respect your time with us today. We are so grateful that you took this short time with us to have this conversation that gives us so much to think about. Our our audience, our students, um, just a, a deeper understanding of not just the way that the biodiversity of the Galapagos Islands can be something worth studying, but how the human dimensions of the management, the natural resource management, how design on the land, how what you, your foundation, the government and the community, um, the communities that are supporting everything that's going on involving people engaging with the environment. The efforts you're doing give us so much to think about and continue to be a crown jewel, we'll say it again, of what people could be doing. And we will add, I'm just going to look at my boss over here and say we need to add a link or some way to encourage people to donate to the Charles, da Charles Darwin Foundation on our website. Do you, do you have the uh, web address in your head? <laughs> yeah, www.darwinfoundation.org. Um, .org. .org. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So, thank you so thank much. You. This Thank is you. wonderful. And um, uh, before you let me go, um, I invite you to to visit the protected areas, to visit the wild out there uh, with, you know, phones and TVs and, and all these things. We we need to be out there in the wild, in, in, in natural places. We need to get reconnected with what's still uh, left out there. And... Uh, if you think that, you know, even though Galapagos is getting a, a, a hugely increase of tourism, if you have the opportunity, go. And if you have ideas on how to contribute to uh, the preservation of these islands, uh, you're more than welcome. Uh, Andy, that sounds like an amazing student engagement it does, it for does. E plus yeah. D to pursue in the next year, too. <laughs> student Engagement Network. There we I, go. I think I know who runs that. expect us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than welcome. Thank you again. Thank Arturo. you very much. Thank you both.